The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Things We All Carry. Dr. Joel Martin joins me today for a discussion on sleep and fitness and the effect of both on the tactical athlete. Dr. Martin is an associate professor of kinesiology at George Mason University. His research is focused on improving the fitness and health of the tactical athlete populations, firefighters, police, and military. His research has two specific aims. First, to understand current movement abilities and fitness levels of this population at various stages during a career. In addition, he hopes to use the movement and exercise interventions to improve the overall health of the tactical athlete. Dr. Martin also works in George Mason's SMART Lab. SMART is an acronym for the Sports Medicine Assessment, Research, and Testing Lab. The SMART Lab vision is stated as striving to enhance the quality of life for all physically active individuals through the development and improvement of methods for the prevention, recognition, and treatment of injury and disease. A quick reminder to help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. All right. So how are you doing? About ready here? Yep. All right. Like I said, I'll start with that introduction, then I'll let you run with it, and we'll get into the questions. That works. All right, so joining us today is Dr. Joel Martin. He's from George Mason University. Uh, that's local to my fire department. He's just up the road from me. He's an associate professor of kinesiology at George Mason. He's a member of the SMART Lab, and that, that stands for Sports Medicine Assessment and Research Testing, and he'll get into more of that and explain what they're doing there. His interests for research uh, revolve around the performance of emergency responders. And to that end, he's been working kind of a cooperative effort with my county in, for five years concerning health and fitness of the firefighters and first responders. How are you doing, Dr. Martin? Good. Thanks for having me on the, the podcast. It's an honor to be asked to, to speak about some of the work we're doing and probably bring light to some of the, the issues that we're addressing in our research. Yeah, I, I look forward to this conversation. It's one that interests me, and, and, I, and I hope it's one that interests everybody in the audience because it's going to impact them at some point in their career. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I think uh, my my background is I come from actually an engineering undergraduate degree, but then I always enjoyed working out and health and fitness, and I found that a kinesiology, more of a performance side was something I said more interest in. So I ended up going to to grad school at uh, Penn State and their kinesiology program for my master's degree. Then I really enjoyed my time there. So I stayed for a PhD. And then about 10 years ago, I came down here to Northern Virginia, accepted a position at George Mason University and joined our, our smart lab. And then that kind of spurred a lot of the current work that I'm doing, which was somewhat of a transition from my graduate work, which was more in motor control and looking at how people control their movement. But since joining the SMART Lab, we have, as a group, we have an emphasis on, I think, research that supports the community. One of the, the groups I 
had an interest in, in was emergency responders, um, and particularly firefighters. So I think you will, probably most listeners will understand this, but your some of the challenges that you face are are quite unique in that you have to perform a lot of physical strenuous tasks, and then you also have these other stressors like sleep, which we'll talk about, environmental conditions. Sometimes you might have nutritional challenges too that are all impacting your ability to do your jobs. And for me, that was, it's a big problem, something that's interesting for me to study from an academic standpoint, but also one of the nice, probably the most important thing from the work that we're doing is there's also a direct benefit to the emergency responders and the firefighters in our community. Yeah, there's definitely a direct benefit. And like I said at the beginning there, this is an this is a subject that's going to impact all of us at, at some point in our careers if it hasn't already. And hopefully it's something that people can get ahead of and, and prevent or not prevent, but at least minimize the impact on their lives. I think the most, I, obviously I created questions based from a layman's point of view and m- maybe a little bit more informed than a layman, but not much. And I submitted them and, and you, you went through them before we even started. So where, where do you want to start? I mean, how, I think the first question I had was that how are nutrition, exercise, and sleep codependent on each other? Yeah. Yes. I think that's a good place to jump in. Um, so initially when we started some of the work with the local fire departments, um, fitness was what I was really interested in and especially what aspects of fitness are most important for firefighters to do, you know, common tasks. And so we started a couple of projects. One of them was we offered free movement and fitness assessments out of the lab. And so we had a number of individuals come in early on in our, our, our research. I think we had a lot of important conversations with members as they were coming in. And one thing that kept coming up was some of the sleep challenges that they would say they were or talk about how they were tired and maybe something had happened in the last 24 or 40 hours that had impacted their their sleep sometimes we had cancellations too with as unexpected things we had them scheduled to come in for testing and they had to reschedule i think the more we learned about some of the challenges faced through these conversations we found that a kind of a, just looking at fitness wasn't was too narrow of a focus. So one of the things that spurred our interest was definitely the sleep. And there's a lot of, not just in firefighters, but there's quite a bit of research in these healthy lifestyle behaviors. And the three that tend to rise up because they're they're interrelated are sleep, nutrition, and exercise. And one of the aspects of those that receives a lot of attention is that they, they are all modifiable factors in, in theory and that the individual could you can change your sleep, you change your diet, you can change your exercise. They're also codependent on each other. So what, what I mean by that is if you're eating poorly, that would imp- negatively impact your probability to exercise. Is there certain nutritional demands that you need to to exercise and vice versa? If, for a lot of people, I would, obviously their goal is to, to lose weight and improve their body composition and then the diet and exercise become really important together because you need to be able to eat to sustain your your fitness goal. But then I th- the the third wheel there would be this, a lot of research. I could probably send some notes later on a few studies to look at on the impact of sleep on both diet and exercise. But one of the interesting things, and I'm sure everyone on the who's listening can relate, is if you're sleeping, you tend to make poor food decisions. So there. A number of studies have shown that people who are sleep deprived 
will opt for higher calorie foods over healthier options. And the other thing that happens is if you're sleep deprived, you don't feel like exercising. So then that creates other problems. And especially for firefighters, when the jobs are quite physical in nature, anything that's negatively impacting their fitness levels needs to be addressed and looked at together with the fitness instead of independently. So the question I have about the nutrition then, if you're sleep deprived and you're making poor choices, you're eating more calorie dense or or sugar dense or fat dense uh, food, is that kind of a throwback to genetics? Like trying to, uh, uh, almost a fight or flight type of thing if you're not sure Maybe hunter gather. Yeah. So you're trying to you're trying to get as much calories in as possible because you're not sure when it's coming. Yeah, I think that's a really insightful way to look at it. Yes, and sometimes the way I explain it in a an exercise physiology class I used to teach was if you think of your food intake as get, getting paid your paycheck, you have a you're going to receive a regular paycheck and have to really worry worry about not receiving that paycheck bi-weekly or however everyone gets paid. You probably aren't as concerned about building up your savings as much if you know that money's going to be coming in. But once the money is not coming in on a regular basis, then you're going to start saving more money and building up your bank account. So your body does that with fat. So if you're not eating quality foods on a regular basis, um, one of the protective mechanisms would be to store more body fat and the body is very flexible or adaptable and your metabolic rate can actually resting metabolic rate might decrease to compensate for not having that regular nutritional intake. And I guess that's, that kind of goes to the theory of if you're trying to lose weight, one of the best ways is to make sure you get enough calories, not, not to, not to drastically limit your calories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which seems foreign to some people, and they think that if they just eat very little, then their body's going to shed fat, but it, it, it quite often just holds on to it more. Yeah, um, and it, it might even br- start using some of your muscle mass for energy, too. So, of the three, nutrition, exercise, and sleep, and, and I know there's a codependence on each other, is your thought process that sleep is the heaviest influencer of the three? That's a good question. I think they're all really important. I, I One could make the case that sleep, probably sleep is the most important. We're, one of the studies that we're doing right now where involves giving a fitness intervention. Sometimes the participants will ask, well, should I sleep an extra hour today or should I do the workout? Nine times out of 10, that we, we would tell them to, to get the sleep that they need and skip the workout if they have to choose between one or the other. I, mean, I think for most people, this because sleep can influence so many other outcomes, not just fitness and diet, and also our moods and our mental health. Taking care of sleep is, I would prioritize that the highest out of, probably out of the... Which is disturbing for for first responders, especially firefighters, with the way our sleep patterns are. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of challenges there for firefighters to to sleep well. So... We're, and I know that we're going to get into the to the fitness piece because that's something that you're passionate about. Obviously, firstly, I want to hit you with some questions about sleep and, and hygiene. And w- what is poor sleep hygiene? What's that look like? Yeah, yeah. So sleep hygiene's uh, I think a word that maybe is being used more more often. Sometimes it can be used interchangeably with like sleep health. It's just 
good sleep habits that are going to help to promote not just more sleep, but also higher quality sleep. So things like going to going to bed at consistent times and waking up at roughly the same time, seven days a week, not being on our, our cell phones or computers mm. before going to sleep, the things that are going to stimulate our our minds and keep us up. Sleeping in a room or environment with somewhat of a controlled temperature so it's not too hot or too cold because that obviously that would also disrupt our sleep habits, those types of things. A lot of times people will tend to focus on just the sleep quantity and there's recommendations that we need seven to nine hours per night. So a lot of times people are focused on that, but some of these other things that would influence our sleep quality are, are just important to, to consider and I guess trying to optimize one's sleep. Yeah. I think in the fire service, we have a bit of the we have a bit of the things we can't control. We can't control when a call comes in. If it comes in at 2.30 or 4 in the morning, it comes in. We have to respond to it. But mm-hmm. we also do it to ourselves because then when we're off duty, we don't get the – we don't set the setting appropriately for sleep and we don't get the right amount of sleep. And then we throw in alcohol and and it just – it's we, we're self-destructive in that manner. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. But I, I forgot to touch on that. The, the alcohol. Yeah, alcohol is – Lots of literature that will show that that really disrupts your sleep and the quality of sleep. And then I know the other thing that maybe you can also touch upon this, but the the use of caffeine and energy drinks, drinking large amounts of coffee throughout the day, that can also make it difficult to to fall asleep when you are able to to find some time to sleep. Somewhere out there, there's a bunch of people that know me that are just shaking their heads and laughing because they know how much caffeine I consume. And it's, it, <laughs> it, it is a bad thing. And it's something I'm very cognizant of. I just haven't made that change yet. So that's a very valid point. And it's one that, that we see all the time because you look in any refrigerator in a fire station and there's going to be multiple energy drinks in there. Mm-hmm. And there's always a fresh pot of coffee brewing at the firehouse. Yeah. Obviously, there's probably some good reasons for that i think maybe just being mindful of how much is consumed in terms of the caffeine intake and maybe when it's consumed as well um we were actually we were visiting a a local firehouse recently and they were about to do some training drills and they're joking around about drinking the monster energy drinks before the training drills and i guess my sense is my, my outside sense from what i've seen it's as part of the culture and i know those things can be difficult to change. Oh well, yeah. And it's a, it's an addiction. Caffeine is, let's, let's be honest. It's, that is an addiction. It's one of the mo- more addictive drugs out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also performance enhancing to a point, but it can also cause some issues. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. How do you start to recognize poor sleep hygiene in somebody or how can one recognize it in themselves? Probably some simple ways to recognize it would just be constant constantly feeling tired and fatigued and, and run down. I think that would be a, one point. The issue with sleep quantity is that we all have different sleep needs. Um, and we probably all know some people who they need their nine hours of sleep per night and then other people function pretty well on much less than that. So I think it's, and this is one of the, the challenges that makes it hard to study from a, a research standpoint. Some of the, these individual differences in what, in what you need, but probably starting with how, you, how you're feeling. If you're always feeling tired and run down, that would be a, a good indicator. And then from there, there's some other measures that you could start to look at, maybe start to, to, to actually quantify your sleep. And, uh, and then you can make changes and see how it 
in your feelings of fatigue and tiredness. Yeah, and think that we're all chronically tired and fatigued. Our schedule is, for lack of a better word, our schedule is shit. And then we, we add in our sleep. And so it's it's something that we all need to take a second and recognize. And like I said, we need to make our changes on the outside because we can't make our changes too much on the inside. And mm. outside of work and inside of work. And I know that second and third shift of a tour you can see it in people's faces and you can hear it in their voices. And you just know if, especially if the first shift is one of those where you get your teeth kicked in second mm -hmm. and third shift, are, you're, you're toast for the rest of that tour. Yeah. So speaking of that, we do get poor sleep. So there, I know there's physical and cog cognitive effects of poor sleep. And I, you hear this, I don't know if it's a cliche. I don't, I, I know there's some science behind it that you can equate lack of sleep to, to basically driving under the influence. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard, or I've seen the research on that and I can't think of any studies off the top of my head, but I know that there's been some research studies where they've, you know, they've measured different aspects of physical or cognitive function compared it to people who are intoxicated and frightful or scary that the measures are pretty similar in that. In a lot of ways, being sleep deprived is comparable to being under the influence of something. And I, I first came to 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 know of you through one of the sleep study you had uh, research you had done, and it was a, it was a published paper, and and I, I'm going to link to that in the show notes when I release the show. But from that study, what what did you take away from that? Yes, yeah, so, you know, maybe I'll explain a little bit of a background behind that study okay. and then what type of study it, it was too. So I think that'll be important for the audience to, to understand. When we started doing some of this fitness testing and we were realizing how important sleep was, of course we wanted to do a, a study on, but we, uh, we hit some challenges with actually implementing a study where we collected sleep data on firefighters. Locally, just, and this is also around the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. So there was, most of our research got put on hold for the, the time being. So what we ended up doing was we did a systematic review of other published studies that looked at the effects of sleep on physical and cognitive performance, as well as just firefighter health. So a systematic review is a methodological approach to finding previously published studies within certain inclusion exclusion criteria. So we, we wanted all included studies to be with professional firefighters, and they had to report some type of relationship or effect between sleep that was measured and either physical or cognitive performance. So we we searched a number of different databases and identified our, our inclusion criteria and then um, synthesized them into the study that we had published. I think officially, yeah, it came out last year, um, but we were we were working on it a lot in 2020 and the first half of 2021. So we found 15 studies that met our inclusion criteria. The total sample of all the firefighters included in all these studies was about 1,600 firefighters. What we found when we took all the results from this, the studies together is probably not surprisingly that sleep had a negative impact on cognitive function. And I guess when I say cognitive function, that can mean a few different things and Basically, all these were negatively impacted, but things like just your attention to what's going on in your surroundings, 
decision making, so like speed of decision making, reaction time, poor sleep negatively impacts all, all those things. And then there are also some other health metrics that were reported in the studies that we include. So things like cardiovascular function, obesity, body fat percentage, sleep tended to have a negative impact on those. There, with firefighters, there were very few studies actually that looked at some sort of relationship between sleep and physical performance, which was somewhat surprising to us. The few studies that were didn't necessarily find that their their physical performance was impaired, but the two studies only looked at acute sleep deprivation. So it was only, so it was only like in the sleeping poorly for one night, not getting less than I think it was four hours of sleep. And there's other research in athlete populations and general populations that, that also show that at least in terms of physical performance, a lot of times if it's just one night of bad sleep, you can still perform not maybe necessarily any differently physically one night of sleep, but we start looking at chronic poor sleep. That's when you you start seeing the negative effects of of chronic poor sleep on physical performance. Again, there there just hadn't been studies published on looking at that in in firefighter populations. How do you define chronic poor sleep? What makes it chronic? Other than I, I understand it's more than one night, but. Yeah. So usually it's at least a, a week of poor sleep, being sleep deprived. There's some different objective measures uh, or definitions of sleep deprivation. Most of what I've seen would be less than four hours of sleep for about a week in a row. Um, and you start getting to the, the chronic poor quality sleep. And is there a delineation between sleep deprivation and maybe this phenomenon that we experience as first responders of disrupted sleep or it, it's disrupted and it's also, I don't know, it's, you sleep with a, with an anticipation. So maybe anticipatory sleep where, you, where you're just waiting for that call to come. Has, any, yeah. has anyone ever looked at that? Um, yeah, I know there's been a, a couple of studies that looked at, so one of the, the events, I guess that's easy to, to kind of quantify is call volume of the alarm going off in the firehouse, how number of alarms or calls impact sleep. And obviously there's a negative relationship between that and, and sleep quality. I, th I think one of the challenges that researchers run into is the approval to, st to study sleep with firefighters, because I think we all know that it's a problem and a lot of fire departments probably don't necessarily want the magnitude of the problem quantified. So that's, I think that's a challenge in, that a lot of researchers run into and try to quantify the sleep. A couple of studies that, that were in the review, they actually used wildland firefighters. They, and often they had them wearing some type of wearable device to measure their sleep over a tour when they're out, out working. Hmm. Yeah, it's that disruptive sleep is such a weird thing for firefighters, especially. And and it would be, I wish that a department would be forward enough thinking to say, hey, let's do this. Let's put a wearable on each of our firefighters or maybe just to shift one shift of if you've got A, B and C shift, maybe A shift does it for for six months just to see what A shift experiences. Mm -hmm. And and. I think that it would be, first of all, I know it would be shocking or maybe it wouldn't be shocking. Maybe it's exactly what they think they would find. And, and like you said, maybe they're just too afraid to do it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Which is a shame because we all know how sleep affects us, affects us longer down the line with it being considered a, a carcinogen basically in some, yeah. in, in many circles. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely a need for doing some longitudinal studies like that, where we track a group of firefighters and start to look at some of the different factors that probably you all probably know better than I do, but that are going to influence their sleep. Maybe like, you know, what station they're at is you have busier stations, less busy stations. Some of the differences in culture, maybe within a station and other things that are going to influence sleep and the culture around tracking these individuals for not just weeks, but probably months, maybe even, even years if possible. And then I guess more putting on my research hat, just understanding these longitudinal changes. Then we know also look at how many years of service a firefighter might have and starting to like correlate some of maybe the negative health changes with some of these sleep measures that we're seeing to try, try to really identify how, how much of an impact sleep has on some of the the health consequences that firefighters are, are experiencing. Yeah, it would be, to me, it would be fascinating to see that study. And, and I would actually, and from a, I don't know, from, I don't want to use the word troublemaker, but from a troublemaker standpoint, I'd like to see what the reaction from fire, fire departments would be and how they, would they modify what they do with their firefighters? I don't know. And and maybe that's also part of it. They just know that there's nothing that they're going to be willing to do. And, and that makes me a little nervous. So, to get a study done was, is obviously the first step. Yeah, I would, I know sometimes there's financial implications for doing or not doing something. Yes. I would suspect that if you start looking at some of the insurance payout, whether sleep contributing injuries and um, some, some of the other health issues, there'd probably actually be substantial cost savings in the long run. If you look over a, a long enough time period for doing some things to really address the, the poor sleep that firefighters are experiencing. I, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it would definitely be a long-term cost savings, but the, the cost up front is what scares the immediate supervisors and, and political <laughs> leaders. And, and they're not thinking long-term for us. They're just, they're thinking, how do they make it look like their budget is better than it was a year <laughs> before? Yeah. And that's, we, I, don't, I won't get on that soapbox because that's a tall <laughs> one for me to climb up on and I'll, I'll leave it be for right now. Not only are we getting bad sleep or, or not only is our sleep disrupted, but we're on a shift work. And so our schedule's always changing. It's it's the same, but it's always changing, if that makes sense. In general, in a general population, how does shift work affect people? How does it affect the body? You know, can the body adapt to shift work? I think there's some amount of adaptation that can occur, and some shifts are worse than others. We think about our circadian rhythms and when we're naturally awake and naturally asleep. The, the second and third shifts when our bodies would prefer to be sleep. Those are where you're going to see the, probably the worst health consequence for working those shifts. I think then what's occurring outside of work too is also going to be be important to consider. So if, if someone's working a third shift and then they come home and they have family and kids and they're trying to spend time with their, their kids during the day, and that's probably the time when they are able or would be able to sleep because they're not working, they're going to have some additional challenges. And then, just, I'm sorry, just to be clear, when you say third shift, you mean the, the night shift? Yeah, the okay. night shift. All right, because in, in our parlance, we're thinking the third shift of, of a tour. And that's I just wanted to clarify for people who might be thinking that as oh. well. Yep, yeah, that's why I meant the night shift. Yeah, yeah, those guys are coming home and they're not getting that sleep when they during the day when that's they're expected to get to sleep. Then they're going back mm-hmm. to work that that Then you're up 36 hours. Yeah, yeah, that's... uh. And that's going to be hard to, hard to function when you, when you return to work, if you haven't slept in between the shifts. 
yeah, not only hard to function when you return to work, but let's be real. It's hard to function when you return to home the following day again, and maybe you're expected to do exactly what you did the day before, but your body's, your body and your mind aren't there and you're going to, you're going to have a break at some point. You need to have that rest. Yeah. This is outside my scope of area, but I know there's a lot of probably family issues that come up with individuals working these different shifts where they're, they're not home or they feel pressure to probably stay up and rightfully so, but be engaged with their, their families and their kids and attend other family of it's really create some challenges to try to, you know, I think do everything work-wise and family-wise and also take care of yourself in the process. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously, it's tough for anybody. And it's, I, I can, the only shift work I've worked is fi- you know, fire service. So it's, that's all I can speak of. And, and it's tough to come home after a long night and, and actually try to function as a human being again. Yeah. I'm trying to go through these questions I had written down. A lot of them have been touched on as we, as you just talked and, and we've gone back and forth. What are some ways that a first responder, especially a firefighter, can improve their sleep in in or out of the, the station? Yeah. I know that some of the obvious that you mentioned already, controlling that environment. And maybe you could just touch on that again. How can we do that in the firehouse? Yes, I, I think, I know some firehouses do this, but if you have rooms that are dedicated to sleep that where they're dark, maybe you can use bl- blackout curtains. We we have a two-year-old daughter, and that's something that we've learned to implement quite well, in, either at home or when we're traveling places, but blackout curtains, having controlled temperatures, so having AC in the room or, or maybe heat if it's it's cold. I think naps can actually be really good, too. So if there's opportunities to take short naps, those can help to combat some of the, the sleep deprivation issues that are coming up. I, Probably just another approach that some departments have taken because, again, they may not have a lot of financial resources, but just the sleep education part and making firefighters aware of what is good sleep hygiene, the importance of sleep for doing their their jobs. I think that could be an initial step that a lot of fire departments could take that there's not a lot of financial costs associated with. It's I'm lucky in the sense that I, the firehouse that I'm in now is one of the newer ones. And so it, it has private bunk rooms. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that should be the future of the fire service, the, the individual bunk rooms, the tones and the lights that don't jar you awake, even though waking up at, at one in the morning jars you awake, no matter what, but the man, the manner in which you're woken up, it makes a difference as well. I was talking with the fire chief a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me about the, the alert system that they changed to where. You'll probably know better than me, but when there's a call that comes in, it goes out to all of the firehouses versus I think there was a ways where it was more focused and and didn't wake everyone up, so to speak. We use a Westnet system and it only alerts the, it only alerts the units that need to go on that call, especially at night. You can set the, you can set your alert system within your bunk room to only alert for, if you're on the truck, it only alerts for the truck. So you're not mm. getting woken up by medic calls or engine calls and vice versa. Okay. They can do the same. And most of the houses have that. Now it just depends on, is it an older house where everybody's in a communal bunk room anyway? And it really doesn't matter if you can set your tones because yeah. you, you have everyone in there already. Or if you're in one of the new stations like myself, where you have an individual bunk room and you can specifically set it just for your unit and you're not hearing anything really, except for maybe shuffling in the hallway. Mm. So it, yeah, it's, it, some of us are spoiled and I think that needs to be the future of the department. Or, no, he, 
Yeah, he was saying that uh, just kind of anecdotally, it, it's made a huge difference in the over the past year since they've implemented it. Yeah, and again, for for us, it's it it makes a difference at night, so you're not waking up for everybody's calls. And again, going back to the individual bunk rooms, you can escape there during the day and actually get a peaceful nap if that's what you need to do. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a game changer, to be honest with you. All right, let's see. We, you talked, you touched on wearable devices briefly, and I think they're important. I, I know most of the, actually, it's becoming, it's a growing thing amongst my crew because they're all comparing their Garmin's nowadays and their body <laughs> batteries. And so I have a, I wear a Garmin and it tracks my sleep, but I also wear a Whoop and it, it tracks my sleep as well. And so it's very interesting because you can see the ups and downs from on a nightly basis, and then you can extrapolate that out to weeks and months. But then you can also see the effect of a call on the body immediately. You go from... 40 beats a minute in bed to 152 beats a minute on a fire scene. It, it, and that's in a matter of two to three minutes. It's a jarring effect. One of the things I think is interesting about wearable devices is, do you ever see that as a tool at some point where maybe it's a fit for duty assessment? So you can track your metrics and they can, the department can look at those metrics and go, wait a second, we're seeing some, we're seeing some serious issues here. Yeah, I think that could be a, a great application of it. There's a sports teams have been doing similar, similar things for a long time now. And I, not just with firefighters, I think some of the other tactile populations borrowing some of the, the frameworks that they've used in maybe higher level sport for monitoring athlete performance and recovery would have a lot, add a lot of value to firefighters and you know, probably assessing their state of readiness or kind of early prediction or early alert to potential health problems. And yeah, like you were saying that there's, there's so many wearables now that are, they have fairly good accuracy um, or actually probably reliability is more important. If you're just look at one person and you kind of track their, their changes over time, you have validity and reliability. So validity would be how, how well the device agrees with, say you're looking at sleep and how many hours you you sleep versus the true value and then reliability is how how consistent the the measurements would be um, a, lot, a lot of times in sport instead of just looking at what the actual values is looking at how consistent someone is over time so whether it's sleep or maybe physical activity and then when you start seeing these large changes so they suddenly go from you know sleeping seven hours a night to they got two hours last night that would be be a concern or one of the things that did come out of the paper in regards to sleep and it was actually physical activity is that when the firefighters are sleep deprived their physical activity measures dropped quite a bit which one of our conclusions was that looking at physical activity could be a surrogate measure for sleep as well it makes sense when you think about it that if you're sleep deprived and you're probably just your your overall physical activity levels like how much you're walking around you're gonna you're gonna see a sudden decrease in that and i know when i'm tired i just feel like I'm sitting around and i don't do as much walking around and you know playing with our daughter or the dogs around the house but i do think that integrating more the wearables and maybe starting with firefighters using them individually and tracking their sleep and physical activity and some other other relevant measures could be a good starting point. At some point, some of the I think some of the fire departments might want to look at if they have a health and wellness coordinator or a strength conditioning coach. There's ways in which they could have a, a software platform and they're able to see the, the data from I guess everyone who has one of these these wearables on their staff quickly see on the screen if there's any 
sudden changes in sleep or physical activity or you know other other measures that might be important for determining whether or not someone's in a state of readiness to to do the the task that they might be called upon to do. Yeah, and I know that when I make mention of a, a wearable and wearing, you know, having it on firefighters, and then you doing fit for duty, I, I know people out there are are probably screaming at me like, but they don't want the intrusion, and and I understand that. But I think that the the metrics that that you get from a wearable is, is are way too important to ignore. And I think that fire departments, it's a simple way of fire departments tracking how healthy their firefighters are. Yeah, no, I, I totally. Let's be honest, we're not healthy. <laughs> No, there's definitely some challenges in the areas, opportunities to improve, I'll put it that way. Speaking about opportunities to improve, the next thing I was going to ask you is some common sense changes departments could implement to to help with just, let's, let's just concentrate on sleep before we even get to fitness. Yes, I think maybe it starts with the leadership and just valuing sleep and taking whatever steps they can to, I think, promote sleep hygiene and encouraging firefighters to to get the sleep that they need. Again, I think going back to our start of our, our conversation, there's, there's quite a bit of research that shows that if you're not sleeping well, your diet's going to be poor. So we know there's a lot, um, within the, the the fire departments, there's a lot of obesity and cardiovascular concern. And then as far as doing a lot of the, the occupational, there's definitely a fitness component to that as well. Again, if you're not you're not sleeping, you're not going to exercise and you're, it's going to negatively impact your, your fitness. I think having some some leadership that uh, definitely values sleep and promotes it is one way i think making as you mentioned too just small changes around the the stations where um, individuals are able to to sleep in proper environment something else that could be done and maybe just uh there's just you all work pretty closely with each other and you could probably identify what someone else is, is sleep deprived and maybe just in encouraging that individual to if they look really tired to make sure they prioritize sleep in the next few days to get back to a better state of restfulness. I actually saw an interesting interaction the other day and I was at a different station for, for a couple of minutes making a visit and there, the, there was a, a firefighter there and she was exhausted. You could see it written all over her face and she'd had a hell of a morning and a hell of a night. And it was just one of those days where she knew she, she had to be at work. She couldn't really call in sick because of numerous issues. And on her way out, I, I heard the chief say to her, say, the only thing you're assigned to do this afternoon is to, to finish the lunch and then to go take a nap. And that's a huge change in and of itself right there, because there's still this prevailing attitude of, oh, we don't need this sleep. This is what we do. We power through. We we man up, for lack of a better word. And if you're not, if you can't hang, then what's wrong with you? But for that chief to to recognize what she needed and to, and but he did, he prioritized it. He said, that's what I want you to do. So not only prioritize it, but it gave her permission to be comfortable with that idea of just going and taking a nap. Mm-hmm. And that's that mindset is what we need. We need firefighters and officers that, that realize that you're no good to us if you're tired and it's not a bravado thing to stay up as long and as late as possible. No, it's, it makes me happy to hear that <laughs> that happened. Yeah, it, it, I was, I was happy to hear it as well. And, and I just, it's something that needs to be pointed out and applauded more often because I think more leaders need to realize that's what's best for your people is what's best for your department. Mm-hmm. 
So I think we've beat sleep down. I would beat it to death a little bit there. Um, so I know you, we were going to talk about some role of fitness and the ability to perform. Um, and, and this is your, this is your specialty. Cause I know what you've been doing with our department. So maybe you want to explain that process and then we can get into what you mentioned you wanted to talk about with the, uh, fitness testing. Yeah, sure. So that's probably what kind of initially got me interested in the, is, I mean, as a firefighter, you have to, you do such a variety of tasks and there's all these different areas of fitness that are important to do, you know, firefighting tasks. There's, there's aerobic fitness. Um, I know there's the recommended VO2, about 42 for the VO2, but there's also, you have to lift heavy objects and heavy people. So you need to have a certain amount of strength and able to do that. And then a lot of the the tasks there require high levels of upper body muscular fitness as well. So lifting and moving objects repeatedly. So one of the one of the areas that we we got into was just doing these fitness assessments and trying to figure out what are normal levels of these different areas of fitness for firefighters. We also do some movement assessments too. So there are different movement screens that are are used in the field of exercise science. Kind of watch how people do basic movements like squatting and balancing and moving their arms to try to try to see what the overall uh, movement quality is, not just flexibility, but looking at how you, how one might perform um, these, these multi-joint movements. They're going to be one, one of the areas is also reducing that we're interested in is reducing injury risk. And are there movement screens or fitness tests that are associated with higher levels of injuries? So that's that's one area that we're into. I was there's some challenges too with what tests might be implemented within a in a fire department, depending on resources and and what equipment you have. Um, so most of the tests that we do now are uh, don't require a lot of equipment. They t- they might be body weight, but that the challenge that comes in is assessing muscular strength. We've started to look at there's something called an isometric mid-thigh pull in which um, an individual, they basically pull on a, a fixed bar and see how much to lift up. So it's like doing a deadlift to see how much force they're able, they're able to produce. So you're lifting from the floor. Yeah. So it'd be like a, a bar that's attached to the floor or structure on the floor. That's a dummy drags and the average person's getting a lot heavier nowadays yep that, that's becoming increasingly important for firefighters and kind of low back pain is, is quite common among firefighters so that could trying to lift someone or something heavier than you're you're able to lift could obviously cause a back injury that's one area that we're we're interested in right now and something else that we've added on so we started by just offering these movement and fitness tests and we give um, some general recommendations to the the individuals who came in for test. We're now starting to offer extra eight week exercise programs to follow up based on what we see in the the fitness testing. We give these participants exercise programs to follow, and then we would do the the post testing to see whether or not there's been you know, positive changes in these different areas of fitness. And we're doing the we we've been delivering the programs online because we know that one of the challenges if fire departments were to have a, a health and fitness specialist, which you know, some do now, but some don't, would be to being able to actually travel around and reach everyone to do fitness testing and give them exercise programs. Having some type of online or virtual delivery of the program seems to have some benefits in terms of actually being able to deliver to where now one person can reach a larger number of, of firefighters from the county or department. So that's 
that would be another project that we're we're currently working on right now to see if if it's effective with firefighters. And what kind of changes are you seeing? Well, first, before we get to changes, what, what are you seeing fitness wise? Because I know you're specifically talking. I believe this is what you told me last time we spoke is specifically with one county, correct? The Prince William County. Um, what are you finding with, with the of the participants you've had? What's the fitness level been like? It has been, we had some participants who were encouraged to participate in the program and they had slightly lower levels of fitness. So they knew they wanted to improve their fitness. Um, so were, um, a lot of them were in terms of like muscular fitness. It was it was where it needed to be. So, but some of the other measures like body composition and aerobic fitness were lower than what we w- would have liked to, to see for some of the occupational tasks. And then, but then we had another group who it was just purely vol- volunteer. Now, I think that biased who volunteered a bit and they, they tend to be a bit fitter because they were, they were into the health and fitness and want to come in for some of the testing. So again, they were some of those other measures that were lower in the first group. They were a bit higher in the second group, especially the body comp or not hot, but better in the second group. They were of body composition in uh, VO2. The one thing that we've noticed now from implementing the, the eight-week programs is that there's a lot of challenges to actually adhering the programs. So we, because we have, through the software we're u- using, there's constant communication and there's just a lot of things that come up that might throw off the schedules. It makes it difficult for firefighters to follow a consistent workout schedule and that they're what we're finding is that we need to um, sometimes adapt to how many workouts they're doing per week based on, you know, events that happen there outside their control. Or sometimes they might start working out and then all of a sudden they get, they have to go out on a call. Mm-hmm. So their workout goes from, you know, it was going to be 45 minutes or so. To all of a sudden it was only 15 minutes. So there's definitely things that we're learning as we, as we go through this. But I think there's also been successes too, in that it seems that a lot of the individuals who, who are, have engaged in the online exercise programs are do like it and it allows us to communicate with them and because we can give them video demonstrations of the exercises through the, the software and they can actually record themselves and send them send them back to us it's allowing us to to reach quite a few and i do think that the overall the adherent adherence rates have been uh, pretty good for the most part is there a plan to take this outside of just one county or one department. What's, like, what's the barrier to that? Yeah, we would like to. So right now, the the biggest barrier is probably our, our personnel resources, and that for the most part, we're internally funding this project th- through money. Or there's some small financial costs associated with us. That Mason has some resources to support, but probably the other one would be our, our time. How much time that we can dedicate to the project based on some of our other responsibilities we have with teaching classes and yeah because you're obviously still a <laughs> professor at a university yeah there's other things that need to get done so we're we're pursuing external funding to support this project on a larger scale which would allow us to hire in typically they'd be research assistants so these are their graduate students and they could dedicate about 20 hours a week or so to this project and hopefully we could expand to, to other counties within northern virginia region and i'm also trying to work with some other colleagues in other cities around the country. They have some of their own projects going on too, setting up multi-center studies. Um, and we're collecting some of the data in different places that allow us to investigate some of the, uh, the contextual factors that might be influencing outcomes with, with work with the fire departments that ultimately we can kind of 
you know, the fitness testing that could be tailored to a fire department or some of these exercise interventions as well. In, in coordination with this, there has to be something about mandatory fitness at some point in these fire departments. And I know some departments have it. A lot of department, departments don't have it. What are your thoughts there? Yes. Um, so, so we've, I've talked to some fire departments that haven't, some that don't have it. Um, I, for face value, I think it, I think it's good there. What I've seen is the policies or approaches about how you implement it are need to be thought through. So I guess generally there's, there's a couple ways you could go about it. You could, there could be some rewards for people who, firefighters who are meeting or exceeding the fitness standards or I guess there could be punishment. Oh, there's that um, word think, that, that fire departments don't want to hear when it comes to physical fitness. Yeah. 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 I think that there needs to be some standards because the tasks that are asked to perform, there's obviously a physical requirement to, I don't know if you have to lift and move a person or a certain distance, you have to have some amount of strength and climbing up the stairs. There's um, some amount of lower body endurance and VO2 that's needed. So I think not having any standards is probably not the best approach. And I think it also encourage because we know that um, some of these other factors such as, you know, sleep and diet are going to probably work against firefighters over the course of their career. Having some fitness standards might likely counteract that. I know there's one fire department who has implemented mandatory fitness testing and they're seeing if you look at from year to year, they've, they're seeing positive changes in the, the fitness tests that they've, you can conclude that as a whole, the fire department is at least not getting worse. Um, it looks like they're getting slightly, slightly fitter every year. That's positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's definitely positive. What, what other research areas are you, are you concentrating on nowadays? Yeah, there's, this would be outside of just firefighters, but there's a lot of interest in this idea of operational readiness and how do you predict whether or not someone's operationally ready to, to, to do their job. There's, we're working with a couple of groups and looking at different measures for assessing physical readiness and then uh, cognitive readiness too. And most, most emergencies responder position, you need to have some amount of both of those and might, it might depend on what, what your role is within in that unit. So obviously there's wearables that can give us some, some measures more and more other biomarkers. Um, there's been a lot of interest recently in biomarkers that might be in our saliva that would indicate whether or not someone's in a state of readiness to perform their, their tasks. Things like cortisol could be elevated if someone's stressed. Going back to sleep, there's probably changes in hormone that could indicate that someone is uh, sleep deprived. So there's, um, and other things too. Hydration is another, another factor that can make someone not operational ready if you're dehydrated. So there's, we're in talks with a couple of groups about how we might conduct a study around those. And I think one of the, the sticking points is we have to be able to find operationally ready, which is not easy to do. And then how, and how and what do we measure to determine if someone's operationally ready? Yeah, that's a delicate question, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it turns out uh, it's, it really hasn't been defined. People have their different definitions of what is operationally ready. If you had your, um, if you had your way, what would the definition of operationally ready be? So I think it's, it's not so much about 
the upper limits of your current capabilities. Um, so I'll, I'll give an example. So if someone was extremely fit and they could bench press 400 pounds and they could have high VO2 max, they could, they could run a mile in, in the five minute, they're very fit. So you you would assume that they're able to probably do physical tasks. Um, a study, if you throw in that they're sleep deprived, they haven't slept in two days, they haven't eaten anything, and maybe they're dehydrated, even though they're like super fit in that state, they're not operational ready. So more and more, we've been looking at some of, you have some constant factors about someone, some of their fitness and overall, just general, looking at these acute stressors that are going to make someone not operational ready. I think going back to, I want a bit of a sidetrack there. Um, looking at someone's maybe current state and whether or not they have the minimum capacity to do certain tasks. And then kind of, there's going to be different types of tasks. So I think you have to consider what, like what percentage of a task is just physical versus what's cognitive and what, what's the percentage of each of those to try to f- figure out if someone's operational. I think, I think it's defining what, what's the minimum s- necessary levels of whatever is important for doing those tasks and then where is the person relative to that now you, you probably want some sort of safety standard where they're there's some amount over that the minimum threat they don't i don't know if they necessarily have to be there's more benefits to having them being maximally fit or or, or in terms of the cognitive abilities is it possible to still get into the into your program yep we're actively recruiting participants. I think it's a project that we want to keep going for years. So if anyone's interested in participating in the program, all they would have to do would be to email me, then we would get them scheduled to to come and start with with their baseline assessment. And how do they how do they reach out to you? How do they get into So email is the best way. So my email is J M A R T I. 38 at gmu.edu. So I can also send to you maybe when we put that in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Whatever links you want, I, I'll throw into the show notes and, and that way people can go to that to the page and, and just download it or not download, but copy it and, and find you. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. I have two questions I ask all my guests and okay. I'm surprising you with it because I, I forgot to mention it to you. So that, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been one of those mornings around here as I, as we talked about before it came on, came mm-hmm. on air, lack of a better word. Um, I, the reason I termed, I called the show, the things we all carry, it's based off of a novel by Tim O'Brien. It was called the things they carried. It was a novel set in Vietnam and this platoon, he, it was, a, it was about a platoon and they, he would describe what they took into battle, but they also, he also described what they brought out of battle. So the, so the trauma and the scars and the emotional baggage he brought out of battle. And so that's why I call this show, the things we all carry, because we're all coming out of these fires and medical calls with some kind of baggage. So one of the questions I'd like to ask guests is something about an everyday carry, something they just carry on their body or in their person throughout the day that you feel naked when you're without it. Yeah, I think, so I think for me, it's probably, probably my wedding ring, me and my wife a few years ago, and we had, we had a daughter two years ago. And that's, that's something that always I'm always thinking about, and I think a lot of the decisions I'm making, whether work decisions like what to engage in or not, what not to engage in, or other behaviors I'm doing, it just comes back to me and just thinking about what's best for for them and and our family. And 
I'm I'm going to jump on top of. I'm going to ask another question according to uh, things you might carry. Do you wear a wearable right now? I do. Um, it's a funny story. I'm we're pilot testing a study right now to have a, of a wearable on. That's one of my grad students is going to get the data off of it at the end of the week, and we're physical activity and and sleep over weeks. So we're hoping to do it with a, a fire department here soon. So I have him pilot testing it. One of the questions that we have we're I was messaging with him before we, we got on the call this morning was if we look at firefighters and we have them self-report their physical activity and, and sleep, what's the agreement between what we can objectively measure? That's one of the, I think, the questions that we have. There's one, there was one say that came out in comparing self-reported sleep to actual sleep from a, from a wearable earlier this year in firefighters. And they found that, found that there was a, a fairly big disagreement between the, the two. And what what do you subscribe that disagreement to? I guess maybe if you're if you've been sleeping poorly for a, a long amount of time, so you have the chronic poor sleep quality. Maybe you just don't know that you're you're not sleeping well. You perceive that you're sleeping more than you actually are. So that sleep deprivation has become your natural state, somewhat. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, or I can see that because you wouldn't even know that you're tired until you've actually finally get rested. Yeah, or if you're around other people who are tired all the time too, that you might just, might just come to accept that that's normal. I think there's about 700 plus of us in Prince William County that, <laughs> that come to accept it as normal, except for the few that, that, that can roll with the punches there. But I think we're all chronically tired at times. Mm -hmm. All right. So the other thing I like to ask my guests, I ask for a book recommendation, something you've read recently or something that you've read a few times over your lifetime that, that can add some value to the listeners' lives. That's a good question. And look at my, my book collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't give you time to prep, so this is on me. I apologize. There are, there's a few books. Yeah, you can g give us whatever you want to give us. Let's see. There, <laughs> this one isn't totally inappropriate, but there's a... A book called The Sub Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. -word. Yeah, so, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I have it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, trust me, you're, you're fine to drop the F bomb. Okay. I do it constantly on the show. Okay. Yeah. So, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck was once you get past, I guess, some of the basic humor of, of the title, I think there's, there's some value in that approach to things. And I know, I know a lot of times that I'm guilty of this, but I get worked up over things that really aren't that big of a deal. There's other things that are much more important. So, we have, I think sometimes when you have some of these actual serious things that occurs it helps to put other things in perspective I and mean, some of the the minor irritants that happen on a daily basis i think we would probably benefit us all to remember that they're big scheme of things that are really not all that important yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that that book and then and the premise behind it like paying attention to to what's important and, and what's not important and and before we came on the air i mentioned that that we found out that we had lost somebody in the department today and that kind of, I don't know, that puts it in perspective. Yeah, it you definitely, so definitely does. So what other books did you have for us there, if you had a few in mind? There was a, actually another more related to my field, but there was a book called The Joy of Movement. I haven't heard um, of that one. Yeah, so it, it basically just talks about all the the happiness that physical activity can bring to people and how I think just moving and doing physical activity is inherent in our genetics and that when people are I mean, we all have different preferences and what types of physical activity we like to do if you like to play sports or not run or, or lift weights but by and large people are, are happier when they're moving so i think that was that's another book that kind of has resonated with me and 
that goes to a deeper subject even on a societal level because of, of the lack of PE and movement in schools nowadays. We're teaching people that not moving is okay. Yeah, um, and I, I can tell you because I'm and I'm seeing a lot of the the college students now who are probably coming through that. Their just basic movement skills, in my perception, have, have decreased. We see that in the fire department when you when yeah. the candidates are coming through trying to get into the academy. I, I made the mention of deconditioned one day, but then I realized it's not even deconditioned if you've never been conditioned. Yeah, it's it's a, just a lack of general knowledge and a lack of movement in, in society. Yeah, it's, it's scary. I think the pandemic has worsened it as where people are working more remotely now. And like they, a lot of people probably don't have to leave their house yeah. as often and, and such. No, people are definitely not leaving their house as often. And they're not, they're, you, you see, you, you obviously over the last year or so, we've seen more people emerge from their homes and get out. And so that's good to see. But I think you, you can go back to the pandemic. If you'd had more movement and more health, that, the pandemic might not have affected as many people as it did. Mm -mm. And so it's something that we can preach about all day until these basic changes are made to have people healthier and not have, so have a proactive healthcare, not a reactive healthcare. Something like the pandemic is always going to affect, affect the general population very well. I appreciate the conversation, sir. No, this is great. And I really enjoyed talking about these issues and hopefully that we can keep doing more to support Prince William County. And I think just the fire service as a whole across the, the country. Yeah. And I'm, I think I'm probably going to get bombarded with some questions from this episode. So I, I might reach back out to you and, and try to clarify some stuff and uh, move on from there if you don't mind. No, I'm happy to help. All right. And I might be sending an email and get into this program with you. I'd, I'd be interested to see what it's all about. Okay. So okay. I will link to your information in the show notes and it will be in the introduction as well when I record a, a proper introduction for the show. And then hopefully people will reach out to you and either ask questions or get involved in your program. Yeah, that would be great. I thank you for everything you're doing for us and uh, keep it up. And, and hopefully we start to see some positive change in our department and across the fire service. Yep. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Man. I really enjoyed this call today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And take care and have, the, have a good rest of your day. You too. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other. <laughs>